You're listening to Taking Care of Business with me, Rob Rose. And me, Julieta Televi. We take a weekly look at the front and back stories to the week's biggest news. And remember, if there's anything you'd like us to cover, please get in touch by emailing tcb at businesslive.co.za. Nicky Newton-King is the CEO of Africa's biggest stock exchange and has been for close on a decade. But the end of this decade feels a lot more precarious than the start. One of the biggest companies in the stock exchange, SAB Miller, has been swallowed up in recent years by the Brazilian-based giant, I suppose, AB, AB InBev, Anaza Bush InBev, and Africa's biggest internet company, Naspers, which owns Tencent, appears to be in the process of dismantling itself as part of a move to find a, a stage abroad. Uh, Nikki joins us for this podcast this afternoon. Thank you for Nikki, having welcome. me. <laughs> um, Nikki, okay, if we could start with NASPAS, and, and and there was a fairly entertaining Twitter exchange between yourself and David Shapiro, who's a veteran stockbroker and a guest um, frequently on, on our shows, about what it meant for NASPAS partly dismantling itself by listing NUCO mm. um, on Euronext in Amsterdam. And he said this is the end of the JSE. Uh, so much trade is going to flow out of the JSE. All the daily volumes that NASPAS accounts for is going to leave the stock exchange. And you said not so. Why Why isn't it a catastrophe for the JSE? For sure. In fact, we think it's exactly the opposite. We think that this is giving uh, investors a, a much better range of products to, to invest in and will unlock further value. But let me just um, explain, expand on that a bit. NASPAS is the largest share on the on the exchange, so it, it features in a number of ways. Firstly, it features very predominantly in our index. So if you're tracking the index, you must have a large position uh, in NASPAS. And it does mean that if you're trying to out perform the index, it makes it very difficult to do that in any in any significant manner without being very, very brave. So NASPAS has got to a stage where its predominance has caused problems for the investors. And that then meant that they had to do something. They've unbundled multi-choice and now they've had to look at, um, so what do they do about their internet holdings? Yeah. And as we know, Tencent is a fundamental part of it. And what NASPAS has done with this transaction is take the international in, um, uh, internet business and put it in Nuco, which will be have a primary listing in Amsterdam and a secondary listing here. But it's only 25% of, 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 of NUCO that is essentially being uh, um, um, freed up for trade as a separate company because NASPAS is going to own 75% of NUCO. And so what that means if you're a South African investor is you have an opportunity to invest in NASPAS and have its South African business plus its 75% of NUCO here. And then you have additionally an opportunity to participate in the NUCO assets here using your South African RAND. So cumulatively Relatively, if un, if this rela- this results in NASPAS unlocking value, then you will in fact unlock more trade in in in, in the okay. country. Now, now the the difference between David and I is he's been using um, AB InBev as uh, a, and its takeover of SA Breweries as an example. Because what happened in AB InBev is factually so. SA Breweries was a large portion of our market, yeah. around about thirteen percent, and and quite a large portion of the index, not as big as NASPAS. It gets taken over by AB InBev and doesn't make, AB InBev that entity doesn't make the local indices. It gets no tracking activity, etc. So it became a much smaller part of our market. But of course, although it's a smaller, it was a smaller part of our market, the, the rest of the market has been growing nonetheless, all right? Yeah. So a, AB InBev never split, never had two listings. It had one listing and it didn't make the index. The, in this particular case, this is more s- synonymous with Investec as an example, where yeah. you actually have a company that is in the index splitting, 
having a primary listing offshore, a secondary listing in the country. You've both got both assets here, but you choose which one you want to I- invest in. And, uh, you know, the Investec example would be one of where there is really quite a dramatic growth in value traded in Investec uh, post, its, post its split. So time will tell which of these stories actually unfold. But for, for, from our perspective, a model where NUSPAS had done nothing and had therefore not allowed um, investors a choice as to how to access the NUSPAS story and had done nothing to deal with the very predominant position that NUSPAS holds in the index would over time have in fact limited South African investors even more. Would it not be, Nikki, I just wanted to ask in terms of this, I mean obviously the the implication I get from this is stay off Twitter, that seems to be the best thing to do. (laughs) Well, if you don't want a response from me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. But I mean the fact that that NUSPAS then has to go overseas to unlock this discount is in itself problematic, is it not? I mean, the fact is that if you trade locally, you tend to be locked into discount traps like this that you can't unbundle because of the size of our market. Surely that in itself is a problem. Well, it might be a high-class problem to have um, in, in the sense that the, we do have a, a, a limited appetite and a limited amount of investment appetite in this in this country. We get a lot of international activity. So, you know, 20 to 30 percent of our market, equity market every day is foreign. So NASPAS has got, uh, you know, extensive foreign activity. Uh, for instance, our own share is held 54 hmm. percent foreign now. Um, and this changes, uh, and it's true of many, many companies in, in, in the country. So foreigners do access the South African story. But there are there is a time when when a when a company may have certain niche assets, internet assets would be an example, that could potentially be better understood elsewhere. And if the way to unlock that value is to list them more predom- more more obviously in a space where that type of investment is better understood, then that's actually good for us too, because all the South African investors uh, discount gets unlocked as well. So I don't think it's really a, a statement of appetite or anything really in the in, in the country. But what you what would have been a tragedy for us as a country is if NASPAS had decided that the only way to unlock this discount would be to have moved their listing completely. I mean, what kind of conversations did you have with Bob van Dijk? Did he say did what kind of conversations would you have with any CEO of a company that finds itself in this particular quandary? Do they phone you up and say, Nikki, we've got to do something about this. What do you think of this idea? Or do they approach you with a fait accompli and say, no, this is what we're going to do? No, it's far more a discussion about what alternatives are because there are many, many ways to to address issues. What, uh, what we often find is that uh, CEOs of of, of companies that are committed to the country but have a particular issue that they're trying to deal with um, are also stuck with what's the best way to deal with that. And we see so many different examples that we actually can often say to them, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? So our role is not to sort of say, well, you must do it this way or you must do it that way. And certainly our role can't be what's good for the JSE. Our role has to be you need to do what's good for the company but you, but we would always encourage uh, uh, CEOs to 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 look at that in the context of how does that influence and affect your local shareholders? You, you know, how do you do something that is also responsible, uh, given that you've grown off a base in in South Africa? And we found uh, in NASPAS and in other circumstances that most of these CEOs um, really want to do the right thing. Uh, for for the local environment as much as they want to do the right thing for their, for their country. But your key takeaway here is that 
there are many ways to do this. And so these discussions are always um, much more constructive when they are when they're brainstorming and looking at alternatives rather than uh, fait accompli. Um, and, 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 and you can see that in the way that this transaction is in fact being discussed. They've really worked very hard to try and find ways um, to, to resolve the problems that they have faced here. So uh, your comment about CEOs wanting to do the right thing, I suppose that obviously includes Marcus Eustert. <laughs> um, but, but in don't rub of, it in, Rob. Let's not think back of the listing of, no, of Steinoff Africa Retail. But in terms of the trading volumes, what does is, what is this, this, Nespa split say about the trading volumes? You've obviously modeled that, I imagine. Mm, mm. We think that the trading volumes, volumes will, will grow very nicely, specifically if both uh, companies make the index. Um, uh, then we think that that will be net positive uh, for trading volumes. Um, but time will tell that. You know, we have to see what, when the transaction is actually actually implemented, you know, the manner in which it is finally implemented, the number, the, the manner in which people take shares in NUCO, uh, whether they do that. These are all the minutiae that really do mm. impact how a, a, a transaction um, finally impacts trading. Nikki, I, I sort of wonder on, on the trading volumes because they have felt as if they're diminishing over the, the past while. And if, if you're, um, we, we started this chat by, by saying that you've been almost a decade in the role. Mm. Um, and part of that decade, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, has been trying to encourage retail investors to get onto the JSE. So aside from their pension fund, to invest directly in stocks and shares. How successful have you been at that? Yeah. Uh, because it doesn't feel as if it's been particularly successful. It doesn't feel as if there's a huge retail investor community in South Africa. And the other problem is when you have a period of time like we have for the last four years where on an overall level the JC doesn't seem to have gone anywhere, where you would have done better to put your money in the bank if you hadn't maybe picked a, a couple of spectacular stocks, there's a lot of disaffection with investing in the stock exchange. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of questions inherent in that. I mean, the f firstly, it has been a very tricky decade uh, for SA Inc. So exchanges typically do better and investors typically feel more confident when the economic winds are behind and you're in a growing economy and you can fund entrepreneurs and you can watch them flourish and you can fund infrastructure and you can watch it being delivered. And, and we've really had a tricky SA Inc. environment. The times in which you've seen spikes in, in, in um, trading activity have either been in the immediate aftermath of having three finance ministers in a weekend or, or or um, really sort of uh, very positive sentiments, uh, uh, for instance, at the beginning part of last last year when um, President Ram Ramaphosa took over. These, these are all temporary things. You do better as an economy, you do better as a country if you can get growth going, and we've really struggled with that. So it's unrealistic to expect an exchange to fundamentally um, uh, perform differently to the underlying e economy unless you are choosing one or two uh, or, or a handful of things uh, of stocks that may have fundamentals that are different to the macroeconomic environment. So so it's going to be tricky and it has been, we, I, I would actually reflect on my eight years so far as not being one where I felt the wind is deeply behind behind it's been very buffeting as a, at, at a national level yeah. and in that context when you go back to the retail guys um, we are 
woefully inadequately invested as retail um, as retail um, participants, participants um, in, 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 in our own name. We are deeply invested in our, through our pension funds, etc. And I think that is underestimated and underappreciated um, by policymakers. Our pension funds invest, our savings are through pension funds. Our workers, the workers invest through their pension funds. I mean, just that's, sorry, yeah. that's a sideline, that's a segue where you must get really frustrated when there are attacks saying, um, particularly uh, black ownership of the stock exchange is, is minuscule, etc. When you actually say, hang on, via, via government employees pension fund, you are the biggest owners of capital on the exchange. True. And I think, I think, I think you know, once one recognizes that our, the way South Africans save, if they're lucky enough to work, is through their pension funds. Even those of us that are working struggle to save significantly. And so there are very few retail investors in their own name. So although we have tax-free savings accounts, that's a wonderful initiative. Um, you know, you're talking in, 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 in a, a hundred thousand odd, maybe a couple of hundred thousand. You're not talking in, in terms of millions of people having been able to take advantage of, of, of that. And able to take advantage has a number of elements to it. The one is, do you have savings? Um, and, and I think there are really strong reasons why there are not enough savings at the moment because the cost of living in this country is becoming prohibitive. Uh, it, and then to the extent that we do have any disposable income, um, then, then that is being um, competed for by essentially, you know, whether it's alcohol or whether it's gambling products or whether it's just things. And that's we just like me. things. That's just <laughs> you, Rob. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so when we do have savings, we don't automatically say, let's save this. When we do disposable income, we don't say automatically, let's save them. We start to say, what can I buy? How can I, you know, we, we, that's our culture, our ethos. Now, and we then don't also have a trading culture as individuals. We're relatively, actually not um, uh, mercantilely sophisticated. You get off an aeroplane in, um, in Lagos and people are already bidding for your services, whether that's to drive you to, to, into the city or to get you through passport control quicker. There's just a, there's an action and an activity going on. Same is true in China. Same is true in India. That, that edgy sort of let's make something happen is not here. So retail in some is very small, but that's not what, and it's probably less than 5% in this country. And, and I'd say that would be at a high watermark, okay? okay. Um, but, but that is not really, ironically, what's going to drive liquidity. What's going to drive liquidity is, is growth and investor confidence because this is a wholesale market because it's using our savings. So you get the national... Um, uh, the national narrative more positive. You start to see policy um, direction that we all relate to. You start to see accountability for the likes of people that you uh, write books about, Rob. Then, then we actually, I think, will all start to say the playing fields feel fairer. Now, actually, I can be putting more money there. But at the moment, I think we're cautious as a, as 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 ordinary people, and that has impacted. Not just the JAC, it impacts the way we talk at our dinner tables. It it impacts, you know, whether or not uh, what, what we're buying, how we treat land, etc. And you can see that the 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 unlocking of the potential of this country is not a thing in your hands or the JAC's hands. It's it's in all of our hands. It's a national issue, and we really have to take this seriously because if we're just going to arb from one problem stutter from one problem to another um, we will not 
be able to have that um, unlocking that we felt, that positive energy we felt in 2010 or we felt at mm. the beginning of, of last year. There is no reason why that shouldn't be possible. Um, but we but we can't wish it to happen. We have to make it happen. And and we can talk a bit about, you know, how we do that. But that's that's been a it's been a quite an interesting um yeah, eight-year ride so far. You're right. It's been a bruising year in some ways, a couple of years. I, I wanted to ask, you obviously speak to a lot of international investors. Um, your own shares are held quite a large, mm. to a quite a large extent by foreigners. In terms of the, uh, the, the things that they're worrying about now, I mean, you talk about land. You mentioned that land expropriation seemed to be a big thing about a year ago. What are the big issues? ESCOM obviously now is a big one. I mean, how... How significant are these issues of land and ESCOM in terms of what people are thinking, foreign investors who invest in the market, as I suppose, as well as in your shares? Well, the first thing about foreign investors is that for years, uh, South Africa stood as the first among equals amongst in emerging markets. So having um, uh, state capacity hollowed out um, has deeply shocked people. And, and you're starting to see a, a lack of confidence that we will have enough metal to d- address it. Not legal systems, not but metal. To, well, do we actually have what it takes to address this? Do we have the wish to address this? We can talk about this, but do we, are we going to do anything? And I think there's a question mark starting to to be raised about whether or not we will do what we say we will do because we will say all the right things at the mm. at the policy levels and the only way to address that at a at an is to show that we're doing things so you know when we talk to international investors we would say look at these look at the inquiries at the moment they're showing up whether that's on state capture whether that's on SARS as an example or the PIC just to, to take three examples they're showing up the deepness of the rot that we all suspected and talked about and that's very concerning for all of us Um, but at least they're being shown publicly you've got very strong fourth estate shining the light on on these issues and so so investor you should be you should in fact say wow at least they're focusing on it the test for us though if you want to get them from being skeptical about whether or not we will address what we see is to now start to hold the people accountable and and that is going to be the big post election test. So the first is accountability for 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 malfeasance. This the second is capacity to 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 address their state owned enterprise thing. The state owned enterprise thing is important obviously at a national level because of the contingent liabilities particularly that ESCOM represents to uh, yeah, to the fiscus. Yeah. And and the downgrade that that uh, you know that will will hedge to some extent will hang to some extent uh, on that so properly um uh being very clear about what one means when one's saying one's addressing sta- the the escom issue and then delivering uh, on that will be important so we've made some of the right right moves you've got the right minister who's obviously very engaged in 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 in, in public enterprises you've got uh, you've got a a board people trust they really do investors would trust and you and you have a management that is trying to address all, all, all of these issues but ultimately we don't have a long uh, we don't have a long time to wait yeah. so investors are not In waiting fact, we have no time to waste right investors are not waiting for south africa to, to sort itself out they are comparing we're competing for their attention the the longer we take to sort ourselves out the more they go to kazakhstan is my favorite example of the alternative destination. But the point of the matter is we're competing for, for those emerging market dollars. And it's true, too, in the private sector. So 
you you have a Steinhoff, you have the noise that we had last year. This leaves a sense of, geez, guys, I thought I could trust you. I mean, so, so that's a critical point, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, like Julieta mentioned earlier, the JSE has been the vanguard for ensuring governance was right mm. at the companies. And you took a lot of flack last year at your AGM and other places about the fact that there have been some below par listings that turned mm. out to be below par. We talk about Oak Bay, the Guptas company. Um, there have been a few others that, that have listed and probably shouldn't have listed in, in retrospect. Um, how do you feel about the criticism that came your way on that? And do you think it's been justified to some extent? Your argument at the time is you don't have much flexibility to say no to somebody if they come and list and they tick the boxes. But do you, do you, to what extent do you feel the criticism was justified? No, I don't think the criticism expressed as it is was justified at all. I do think that if you're an exchange, you do need to have rules and everybody needs to be comfortable that the rules are fairly applied to everyone so that when your time comes to come and list, I don't take an instant dislike to you and say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not listing you. But where I think, and we, you can see that in the in the consultation document that we released after, uh, after uh, towards the end of last year, Dealing with all of these issues, I do think there are areas where where more disclosure or more accountability on the board for certain sorts of things would have given us different data points that might have enabled investors to say, I'm actually going to put my money here or I'm not going to put my money here. But where I disagree is a sense that we should just take a view that I like you or I don't like you or I like your business model or I don't like your business model. So so, so it's, a, it's a complicated thing where I would where what I do to completely own is that if you have a year like we did last year where you have a very large listing having issues, other large listings having noise around them, and you have some smaller issues, this combined rocks people's confidence. But, but the thing that I feel is underestimated here is the importance of the role of the, what I've called the guardians of governance. We can put more rules in. You can write lots of rules, and you will never stop somebody who's intent on avoiding them. But there is something about how how do we all own our responsibility in in holding people uh, to account? You know, the role of a really strong CEO, a really strong chairman to hold a CEO accountable, to make sure that there is proper disclosure that boards of directors can rely on, that boards, when you have strong board members around the table, you're expecting them to speak up even if it's uncomfortable. Um, I think those are the sorts of other things that I think have been under-emphasized, the role of those sorts of people. What, for instance, are the role of the asset managers? They have very well-paid people. And they own looking, most of the stock exchange. They own most of the stock exchange. What is their role in asking the difficult questions? And 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 I think we've all... I, I've been a little bit underwhelmed by how everybody is, uh, has not lent into the moment to say, what do I do differently? Um, and I and I think we we are we are still going to need to do some more of that. I mean, do you think that's why? Do you think that is? Do you think that um, South Africa is it's still quite clubby that people close ranks? I certainly I know that when we, for example, you'll uh, we'll get comment we'll we'll chat to asset managers. You'll say you know this is this is happening. It's terrible. Blah blah blah. And then you say okay, well, can I have a public comment? And then they clam up and they don't want to they don't want to give they don't want to go on record. Or, uh, and I, and I get the feeling that it happens so often. No one is prepared to actually stick their necks out, and and um, and give ensure some, accountability. Yeah, I, yeah. You stick. You you guys are out there all the time. You know, writing what you see, and 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 shining a mirror, 
And, and so sometimes you take some flack for that and you know that the times that you take flack, it's hard. It, it hurts when you take flack, even if you know you're right, because because that flack doesn't come nicely dressed in in pink roses. It comes with arrows and it's hard to take. And so I, I do imagine that it's not so much a club thing, but it's hard to take criticism um, uh, when you think you've done the right thing. Sometimes, though, uh, perhaps people haven't yet owned their own responsibility to, to look at things. I mean, I, 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 I have been in a meeting with, 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 with some senior stakeholders who said, look, I actually had all that disclosure, but I didn't pay enough attention to it. Meanwhile, the fingers go like this. Oh, the JC should have done something or mm. the board should have done mm. something. But if you had disclosure, what was your role? So my point is not to deflect our own responsibility to look at how our listings requirements are calibrated and whether or not we can uh, you know whether or not um, there are things we have to Im- Im- improve, but I do think people have to realize that in these sorts of circumstances, there are different roles for all of us, and 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 the system relies on us all doing our bit. But we haven't actually articulated. And you know, we're on a TV show on this, but I don't think that the system has actually identified. Well, what is your specific role? And how do you know if you've fulfilled your specific role? And I think that's also part of why people will come into you off the record, but not on the record. Mm. So, so, Nikki, just in terms of, say, look at Oak Bay, right? I mean, it listed and it was a bit of a disaster. But you talk about not having the option to not list people. Mm. Could Oak Bay list again? I mean, right now, we could have another Oak Bay, right? If I can't comment on Oak Bay specifically, but we have listings requirements. And if somebody met the listings requirements, it's quite possible that somebody with a less than attractive business model will come to the market. But the biggest losses didn't happen unless an attractive business models. You've got biggest companies mm. um, who everybody's very happy to make lots and lots and lots of money off for years. Julieta, did you say Stanoff? <laughs> so, no, no, no. so, 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 UH. so I think we must be very careful about focusing on on only certain examples, we should actually look at all of these things and say, well, what are they talking, teaching, teaching us? Part of um, part of uh, some of this will be, I think, around complexity. Uh, very complex structures, very complex sets of different auditors, different account, different uh, lawyers, different advisors. How easy is that for a board to really manage? But instead of saying I'll only list, we'll only list a company that's got three subsidiaries, which is a completely ridiculous scenario, but actually want to say to a board, well, you should satisfy yourself that the complexity inherent in the structure here is something that you understand completely and can deal with. So you'll, you'll note, obviously, that in our draft requirements, uh, we've moved quite a lot of emphasis on the questions the board has to positively satisfy itself about but let's be completely frank about this um you know if you you, the the quality at which the board can act is as good as the quality of the information given to it by a competent management so you've got to have a competent management b it's got to be quality information and 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 then I, i really do think how how the how the dynamics of a company work, how the chairman, how strong the chairman is, especially if you've got a strong CEO. These things matter. Mm. And um, you can't legislate for that. You can't say, oh, by mm. the way, I really will only list a company with a chairman that's this strong. If, if this, is, this, is, this is where it becomes much more tricky. I mean, because there's also a fundamental um, tussle or tug of war between 
I would think, uh, between the imperatives, if you're a, the JSE is a listed company, the JSE needs to make money. It answers to shareholders. It wants to encourage new listings. So, I mean, you could be accused of saying, okay, we'll, we'll let any, any old person list on the exchange because we, we need a yeah. bigger exchange. We need the fees from listings. We need the buzz. So that's such an interesting point. Um, uh, but a couple of perspectives on that. Firstly, if we, we are listed, and so that's an important uh, aspect of us understanding what our business proposition is to our clients. So we, we, we take a, our own medicine, we're listed, and therefore our regulator regulates our compliance with the listing. So the first is we understand what it's like to be in the listings environment. We've learned a lot that that way, actually. Um, uh, that wasn't the always thing. the case. I mean, no, the no, we, in fact, for... we weren't even a company. We've only been listed for nearly 10 years. We weren't even a company before we were a bit like the Rand Club, okay? And then we... we, we <laughs> Slightly less clubby, you're right. <laughs> Some Slightly might more say diverse. Not, hey? <laughs> so, <laughs> today um, uh, so 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 the first is the first is I mean you know it's important that we actually do model the the, the, the business proposal that we're putting to our clients the second is if we were to have a model that said you know what we'll let anybody in then can you imagine the discussion we're going to have about trust then then it's ca- a caveat into market now there's nothing wrong isn't with it, it already a caveat into a market <laughs> well a proper caveat into market has no dis- listings has no disclosure has you take your chances you like the ceo take your chances we'll have minimal we'll get your financial statements published we won't require that to be under ifris etc so that so you know there are market spaces like that that you can have that would be a lowest common denominator or something much lower than the main board our take on that would be that's a that would be really tricky for our for, for our overall long-term sustainability because eventually the top guys say, I don't need to be with you. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to Kazakhstan. <laughs> I'm, going to go to Kazakhstan. <laughs> I'm going to go to London. I'm going to go somewhere else. I simply cannot be at the JSE because the standards aren't good enough. And okay. so that wouldn't be a good model. But the interesting thing to reflect on here is that when you set listings requirements, and bearing in mind that my proposition on this is that you need to set them appropriately, but never be under the mistaken apprehension that you will stop somebody who's intent on behaving badly from from behaving badly. You may set up some roadblocks, but if you're intent on doing something wrong, you'll do you'll do it. I was asked in Parliament when I was presenting this this paper, but aren't your requirements now too high? Surely all of the new entrepreneurs that we want to come to market are going to be stopped from coming to market because you've got too many listings requirements. It's too difficult to comply. And my answer to that was absolutely not. I mean, you have to, it is an art, it's not a science. You cannot set them so that you never let an entrepreneur do anything, but you cannot have nothing. You have to calibrate them properly. And yeah. that's why we have a difference between Alt-X and the main board, both in relation to how small you have to be or should we say more how big you have to be for who you can make the main board and also what type of disclosures you are are required to do how much hand holding you need you need more hand holding when you're small than you do yeah. when you're big according to our listings requirements but london stock exchange for instance has something between alt x and the main board where where it's more caveat emptor but it's higher than alt x so for us it is a question of having a marketplace that works for our investors our investors want uh, good disclosure. They don't like surprises. They're much more attracted to main board than than uh, than alt x. In fact, we get very little strong institutional money on alt x because we're just not used to that type of company in this in this country. Yeah. And so I can assure you, that in fact, the commercial incentives for us are inclined to 
more mainboard rather than than okay. than smaller companies. So you'll always have you'll always have in any exchange you'll have a you'll have a Steinoff, you'll have a Leisurenet, you'll have a Lehman Brothers. I mean those kind of things have to happen in an entrepreneurial environment where people do list, right? You'll never have a market where you don't have issues of some sort. My life at the ex- as in the stock exchange started when I was sorting out the aftermath of the Greg Blank um, oh, yeah. affairs. Um, so you 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 won't have a market where where this where where you don't have issues as you as you rightly say you have an Exxon you have a, you, all around the world you have these. Can you tell us about how your life started as uh, the, at the JSE? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm a lawyer by by training, and I, I was at Weber Wenzel my very first day. Which you seem so nice. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a past life. It was last century. <laughs> but um, uh, but but I was at Weber Wenzel my very first day as an article clerk. The partner I was working for, his client was the stock exchange. My very first instruction on my very first day working was for the stock exchange, and then I did my indentured labour, otherwise known as as articles, and then I did my masters at Cambridge in securities law there was no such thing here and um, and then I came back and we were then doing the closing of the market floor the putting in the new technology I did all the legal agreements uh, okay. for that all the regulatory stuff for that and then I got a phone call um, and then I was doing the, the the Greg Blank stuff but from outside the JSE when I was at Weber's and then I got a phone call to say the JSE is looking for a lawyer wouldn't you be interested and I thought did what I, has the JSE done that it needs a lawyer? Ah, no, because I was doing all of their law. I thought it would be quite nice to make the decisions as opposed to just be advising on the decisions. I, I want to see what was life like on the other side. So I said to Roy Anderson at the time, no, I would... Um, he was I'll the chairman, come. right? He was the CEO, CEO. That, what we, that then stage called the president. So I, I said to him, no, I'll happily come for three years. <laughs> and that was a slow learner. That was 23 years ago. So, so you've been there eight years now. Is that as the as CEO? As a, as a CEO, how would you rate your out of 10, for example, your satisfaction level? And what has been the the, the most the toughest the toughest um, moment of that? Was it the the finance minister, the three finance ministers in five days? You played a crucial role in in mm. changing that. Um, so, so I've loved every moment of what I've done at the JSE. Uh, but I, I would say that the last eight years have been hard, uh, um, because 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 we've battled the SA Inc. issue. It's been it's been a privilege to do that, but it's it's really not been easy to do. The hardest hardest times though is my and my life at the over twenty three years has been retrenching people. I've I've really I mean I've gone home afterwards and crawled up into a fetal position and just said don't talk to me. I can't I can't, just cannot hmm. uh, talk to anyone because you know when you have to look at a uh, somebody in, who's just an, been an awesome contributor and say to them, I'm sorry, but there's no job here for you. And they've got children at school and they've got sick mothers and they've got cars, etc. It's soul destroying. Um, so those have been my worst moments. There have been some unbelievable, unbelievable moments of happy moments and some very moments of great privilege. You know, whether that's with uh, meeting Julius Malema and his 40,000 best friends. Was it, would you describe as a moment of great privilege? Yeah, definitely. Why? Well, if you recall, um, that was at the end of the 10 weeks of relatively violent protest against Fees Must Fall protests. And, um, you know, what we what what we recognized as soon as we were asked to to take the memorandum, because we're often a place that people come, but that there was something qualitatively different about the moment. And and um, I, I think it would also be fair to say that that was at the end of 2015, near the end of 2015. Um, uh, that business hadn't spent enough time listening to 
the national pain and the fact that people were really saying, I'm economically disenfranchised here and I'm wanting a voice. And, um, and it became a moment to demonstrate that, that business actually, a, a, was listening, could listen, and could respond in an appropriate manner. Um, and so it was, a, it, was, it was obviously a very, uh, it was a very highly charged day and a very highly charged moment. But ultimately, I think we will trace it back to starting the resetting of the compass but, uh, uh, the, and the manner in which corporate South Africa behaves. I mean, I suppose I have got another question on whether or not it's soul-destroying to have to go out and sell South Africa. When Isn't it hard to sell South Africa right now? Because you've got to go, you go to Davos, uh, mm. you're part of the delegation, you've been part of the CEO initiative mm. to, cry, to try and... Um, Rekindle some well, sort not of. Not to cry that often, but I suppose that's. <laughs> well, you can do that at home, okay? <laughs> yeah, we cry all the time. Um, h- how do you try and, and and kindle interest in South Africa when when we at home are feeling so so many of us, okay, not all of us, are feeling so pessimistic and dour about our prospects? Yes, I see your Twitter feed is very like you know very half full, and I mean you. But again, that relates to her being a new mother as well. Yeah, uh, that's. <laughs> No, you know, I sleep deprivation. I, sleep deprivation. Yeah, no. Now I come, I come to life anyway with a glass very full sort of approach. And if you look at where we are, um, yeah, we have to do something about that, Rob. But uh, but if you look at where we are um, for the moment as a country, and you look at um, what Minister Gordon used to talk, connect the dots. All right, uh, talk as is connecting the dots, and you think about okay, so do we have uh, a, a president that we think gets? the need to grow South Africa. I think you would tick that. Do we have an understanding of uh, the fact that state capture is a problem for this country? You would tick that and not only you would not only tick that, but you would say, and we're busy unpacking how what it has done to delivery. A- and you can go through a whole host of it. Are we understanding that sorting ESCOM is a real issue? Um, and you, you can actually tick a whole lot of things that if you had asked me three years ago, what are the things we need to do? I'd be saying, these are the things you need to do. Now we're doing them, okay? What What is, uh, you use the word soul destroying, I wouldn't describe it as soul destroying, but what I would say is disappointing, disheartening perhaps, is, is the fact that we have so much potential in this country. We have a huge amount of goodwill. As a nation, as a nation people actually um, do uh, thrive in a diverse environment, do actually want to work together, do want to make it work, the country work, and we are underclubbing our potential. And so if we, are, if we are able to move from where we are now to delivery on the things that make a difference, having identified them, having, having said, yes, we know that, we now need to deliver the, the remedies and the things that actually get us growing. Get us growing. And if we get ourselves growing, now you're talking about a completely different space for all of us. So when we talk to international investors, it is with a little bit of pain about lost opportunity. You know, we didn't take advantage of the of the of the of the minerals boom. We did not take advantage. We've not taken advantage yet of the opportunities of telecoms, etc., etc. There are whole lots of things that we should, in fact, be doing. But but and and that's what's difficult. So so maintaining our standards in relation to what the exchange does, what the rule of law does. Um, making sure that we demand excellence, that we don't just settle for it's okay. While we are busy starting to build the growth agenda, 
I think is the things that actually make me come back every day to do things. So you have to you have to start to relook at your Twitter feed. <laughs> okay, I, I feel like we've taken. almost. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like we've almost we came very close to missing the moment we would have lost everyone. We were almost over the edge when we decided to to pull back, and I think this country does pull back a lot. Yeah. Uh, what is your sense of of speaking to the investors in the last couple of months? I mean, has sentiment shifted according to the to the fact that we have ticked those boxes now, or is it still a hard sell? The reason. There is any intellectual legitimacy in Moody's keeping its um, its rating outlook as it ha- as it is, is because we actually have started to tick the boxes. But the reason, and and that's the reason that they're giving us a stay of execution. We should not fool ourselves into the fact that that is enough, unless we start to move things forward. The patience with which investors have allowed us to. To, to move more slowly than we even had expected, well, we're, well, we're thin. So I think we've got to get through the elections. We've got to get through them peacefully, with integrity. We've got to um, uh, continue to demand that the things that we want to see, uh, where we want to see accountability, whether that's in the private sector or whether that's in, in following these, these inquiries, we must continue to demand that. And, and then we must uh, ex- expect and, and also demand that the, that the people in, in power put people of competence into places uh, that will drive the levers of this economy. Yeah. Nikki, I think we have to leave it there. Um. And thanks Rob so much. Last, we, uh, unless no, Rob has no, no. the last question. We are incredibly inspired by this. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change and my Twitter feed I, immediately. immediately. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like we should be honest with the people back home. We did have a discussion while drinking whiskey, so I, take that with a pinch of salt. I have to say, you, you, you know, my team is not going to be enormously chuffed that I had it over a, a, a glass of whiskey, but I will tell you that <laughs> is the best. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki, for joining us.